All right. So let's begin because uh, time is of the essence, uh, quite literally, because uh, we are in the middle of uh, multiple emergencies that are overlapping. And like Natalie Topa talked to me about, I think, two, three years ago, we are going to be hitting these cascading shocks that aren't going to give us time to recover from what's coming next. And this has happened in Africa, and she's seeing it in the refugee crisis related to climate, resources, economies, violence, all sorts of things that are starting to percolate in all, all over the world in, in different areas. So it's really imperative that we talk about this because uh, th this idea of doubling your yields, avoiding pests and saving water, you know, in, in good times is, 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 is awesome and nice and like super cool and interesting. But in times when it's survival, it is critically important that this information gets out, especially in times of disruption, when people might not get access to it later on, and especially when Platforms like my own are, are being shadow banned and platforms just like me are being deplatformed across the internet. Uh, people who are empowering other people are being silenced and censored. So I just want to get this information out there. That's why it's here on Zoom with you live. <laughs> it's here in my wheelhouse. Uh, so no one can shut us down or censor us here. Um, and and we can get this information out there. So thank you so much for being here. So how important really is soil? You know, I mean, we've got this aeroponics movement, we've got this hydroponics movement. Could we really just, you know, switch to that and forget soil and everything? Reality is no, because soil is at the heart of all of the most important cycles in nature. And it's really at the center of everything. You know, when we, when, <laughs> When we are, when we are, sorry, I'm trying to, um, my mouse disappeared on me. Hold on. Invisible mouse. Um, there we go. I admitted you in. Um, and so soil really is at the center of everything. It's at the heart of things. And we are in a soil crisis. Everything comes from soil and returns to it. We've talked about this uh, repeatedly throughout our time this the, these past few weeks. And if you haven't seen the replays or participated in those, please, please take the time to watch those because you'll understand all this much better. So the fields are overtilled and that's ruining our soil. Fields are sprayed with harm, harmful chemicals. That's ruining our soil. Soils, you know, they're primarily made of fungi, right? And the bodies of fungi and their structure is destroyed when you add fungicides or these purified chemical compounds. And so, and like I said, when you give something, when you provide something purified in nature, it just wants to bond with everything else. And if it's part of the matrix of organic molecules, it's gonna just tear apart you know, anything it comes into contact with. This is why things are caustic to our skin because they want that their purified elements and chemicals, whether really acidic or really alkaline. Yeah. So when it rains, and especially when our fields are planted up to the edges of riparian areas, all of the, that soil, all those chemicals, they run right into the waterways and kill our fish, our amphibians. They do more than kill the fish and amphibians. They, they destroy their ability to properly reproduce and create healthy offspring, and they create dead zones. And everywhere we practice tillage and agriculture, we cause desertification and eutrophication. Eutrophications, there's too much of the nutrients in the water, like phosphorus and nitrogen. And so, and so this desertification kind of is the non-sexy version of climate change. It's the non-controversial. It's like the thing we already all knew and agreed upon, but they dressed it up and then took parts and like ran with it in different directions to create a narrative that would serve them, right? and uh, disempower um, everyday people from participating in this process of healing the earth is what I'm seeing. And, and so desertification, you know, it's been happening for a very, very long time. But right now, we're losing 12 million hectares of land every year to just desertification. I didn't even talk about erosion. I didn't even talk about 
you know, all this other stuff, just desertification. So remember the Fertile Crescent? How fertile is that now? And where did all that water go? It's the birthplace of agriculture and, and the rise of Western civilization, you know, but it turned into a desert. That's a climate change for you, right? I mean, realistically, that's like a huge part of this problem is, is that there's like this shell game with names and stuff happening on and, and, and they're muddying the water. And this is not a new problem, but we now have a situation where it's predicted that we have around 55 harvests left. That means 55 years um, of, of soil harvests left. So, sorry, I'm trying to admit someone here. There we go. It's an invisible mouse. It does this when I'm presenting. I forget how to fix it. But th this topsoil that is precious to all life, all of our food, everything, this topsoil has 55 years left. That means that for most of us, we'll be here and our kids will certainly be here. Our grandchildren will be facing this. And, and the real question is, is this true or does this have to become true is probably a better way to put it because the whole statistical, you know, reality is at this rate. Yeah, we will run out. And, and we're, we've already hit peak phosphorus. We've already, you know, uh, hit certain times uh, of peak um, uh, natural resources of all sorts. So we're also in the middle of a supply chain crisis. Then I don't probably need to tell you that um, the the lockdowns, uh, the forced closures, the strange focus on small business and allowance of like Target and and all these other large businesses to thrive, at the same time, uh, caused a huge disruption in the economies and supply chains. Now have had this hiccup and it screwed up all the supply chains. They're in disarray. I actually experienced the beginning of this uh, when I received this bulk, this book in bulk over a ton, when we received over a ton, physical ton of these books. Um, I almost broke my car when I did that, uh, when we towed it. Uh, it was stuck in port and I had to pay all these fees to get it out of port. And I'm like, but you guys were the one that were late and delayed. Why am I paying? And it was bizarre to me at the time, but but I realized later when it became national news that this is what I narrowly avoided getting hit in the face full on by. Like my books could have been locked up in port for months, could have been locked up uh, and then lost or damaged. I mean, some of these things, there was that one ship that had everything, um, they, they lost everything. So, so this, this, this is something that I literally narrowly avoided myself. And so this fertilizer shortage was something I talked about in the fall that's also afoot. And so this fall, I talked about how, you know, this fertilizer shortage. And yes, we knew we were going to hit peak fertilizer, but the world didn't prepare. They didn't grow, you know, out the seaweed. They didn't, you know, uh, invest in like providing pathways for for enough manure to be distributed and there's not enough manure um the reality is a a, a fertilizer shortage is going to be painful that's going to cause starvation and it may not be your neck of the woods but it but it's it's a it's a part of the world you know always the poorest parts of the world are going to have to face this so this is the fall. This isn't this year yet. This is last year's fall. And so this fertilizer crisis means higher prices uh, for every plate of food. And it's going to cut yields. They're going to have to scale back. And now we're in February. Notice how it shifted from we just have shortages. Oh, no. Um, sorry, mouse. 
Um, I have an invisible mouse issue here. Let me, uh, there we go. Sorry. I, I fixed it now. That's all I had to do. Easy to fix. All right. So they're saying now it's due to the, 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 the tensions, right? This is February. Now there's fertilizer shortages, meaning higher production costs. I mean, is this <laughs> ring any bells? Fertilizer shortage 2022. What do spiking prices mean for investors, consumers, and farmers? Um, people it's, it, it, are really worried because it's reached a level that's not been reached before. And in the university level, they've got no answers. There's no silver bullets. They're trying to kill the werewolf, apparently. There's, you know, maybe it's Teen Wolf. Those are the colors for Teen Wolf, right? So I, <laughs> the, the, the reality is, is we do know how to unlock fertility in all soils. And that, that really has to do with biology and mineral coherence. And it's those higher levels of soil health that are unlocked by biology that you know, th th these organizations don't understand. So, so that's why it's so critical that we talk about this because this information is not well understood. And there's even more to it. Uh, there's contaminated uh, fertilizers coming from China. This is the fall. Um, they're saying there's gonna be a food, uh, food crisis this 2021 because the energy crunch. This is November before the jump in oil prices before everything. Nothing to do with Russia and Ukraine at this point. Then today, things are kind of out of control. We have surging gas prices triggering financial anxiety. Um, and, and, and people are now talking about how it's a mental health crisis on top of it. Scary numbers, this is today. And if the shortages were already on the way, and if energy prices were already too high, then this is gasoline on a fire that was already started. Um, and I know that there are some people saying that this is a cover for this, this inevitability financially. I don't know, I'm not a financial expert, but what I can tell you is these things are on a, like, if we're gonna like plot the lines right here on a, on a graph, where are we headed? It, we're headed to a place of high costs. We're headed to a place of scarcity and shortages. And we're headed to a place of more conflict and strain and stress. And that's why I wanna, wanna help today to try to, to help with what's coming because they're saying that it's going to get even worse. Their inflation, I mean, some people are saying that it's 15%, not actually 7%. And uh, going by older ways of calculating, like the 1991 way of calculating inflation. And then on top of that, they're saying inflation might get to 15% with the new way of calculating it, which would I think mean like doubling 30%? I don't know. Um, I'm not a statistician, you know what I mean? But, but what I do see is that general trends, people are like, the, the trend's going this high. People are like, the trend's going this high. And I'm like, it's still going like that. You know, the angle's still like this. It's like, okay, this or this. It's still going the direction of bad. <laughs> and so it's really critical to, to, to pay attention to this. In the stock market, they're, they're fine. Like, I mean, during the pandemic and lockdowns, you know, things were, were mostly green, but now do you see how things are, it's a, bloodbath. People are seeing red. Do you see the stocks? Um, and the only things going up, going green are, are crude oil and, and gold a little bit, but only somewhat. It's, a, it's actually fickle. You can see it going up and down. So it feels like we're a little bit like uh, we're teetering on the edge of disaster. Like we are in that unstable tied together time period that like defined before World War II, all those treaties tugged and pulled at people internationally. It's what everyone's afraid of, right? But we're also at this point where that's what economically is going on, where the supplies, it's a little bit of musical chairs with supplies with housing, right? With land. So it feels like it's time for a garden, doesn't it? it feels like it's time for a farm and a homestead. 
this is the time period where you reach out and you get connected to the people in your local communities. I, I am. This is the time period. I'm going to be doing not just the, the urban transformation here in the third acre, which is going to be amazing and fun, but I'm going to be working on large, large scale farming and then food forests and orchards on another site that's local. That's just a, a drive away. And so I'm, I, I'm all in. I'm going to be planting out every single one of my beans. <laughs> I'm going to be planting out um, all my cowpeas. I'm going to be planting out all my varieties of radish. I'm like, I'm literally going all out. Like my seed collection is excited, but you know how I, I always keep a little bit of seed aside, you know? Um, I love that first packet, you know, to go back and be like, yeah, 10 years ago, you know what I mean? But, but, but this is serious. Now is the time to get connected and to be prepared. Okay. So get ready because soil is the linchpin. You can have the beautiful permaculture, everything, but if you have, if your soil doesn't hold water well and you run out of water, if your soil doesn't have enough nutrients and your plants are, 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 are insufficient. Cause the reality is if we are living off the land, you want your plants to be nutrient dense, like hardly anything that you would ever find at, at a grocery or even sometimes at a farmer's market. Because the thing is, these market gardeners, you know, they're trying to make money. It's different when you're doing it for yourself. It's different when, for when you're making the, the food for your family, when you do know how to make the best soil possible how to unlock the full potential. So local food, local fiber, local meat, local economies in general all rely upon soil. It's the stability of our civilizations and our cultures. So doubling yields, pest resistance, watering less, these are all now more important than ever. You guys feel me on this? All right. How do we do this? That's why we're here today. We all kind of knew basically that stuff, right? We kind of sensed that the story keeps changing and the trajectory remains the same. And the different week has a different distraction, but the trajectory is the same. Get prepared. Because as we want to live to our fullest potential, we want our plants to reach their fullest genetic potential. Same thing with our animals. And so that, that, that means the most abundant, the deepest colors, the most intense flavors, and the most nutritionally dense. Because nutritional density and, uh, well, nutritional deficiency, low density, in other words, that's vulnerability. That's what that is. And so pests, diseases, viruses, all can get in and take that plant down or that, that, that fruit down because it wasn't perfect. It wasn't ideal. And so nature's like, so you start over again, gonna return you to organic matter and then return you to the soil to feed the next, the next layer. And then the plant health pyramid. This is, John, this is one of John Kemp's greatest accomplishments. And so those first two levels, this is where everyone, you know, thinks of John as the mineral man. And uh, this is, this is awesome. There's, I have a whole video series on this in my course where I go into even greater depth than um, the, the lecture that John has on this on, on YouTube, but I'm just going to sum it up for you. I'm going to simplify this and just tell you what's required. So level one, to have complete photosynthesis, you need those minerals. Level two, to have complete protein synthesis, you need those minerals. And so you need a mineral or mineral-rich foliar spray because let's say your soil is not good or your soil is going to lock up those minerals that you have. Well, if you feed the plant with a foliar spray, you, go, you bypass all that. And so could be soluble kelp or EM digested kelp and rock dust, ocean minerals, mineral rich compost tea, composted manure for nitrogen, fish emulsion for nitrogen, magnesium sulfate, which is Epsom salt, or chelated minerals if you're on a large farm scale, iron and manganese, and soil soaks of various sorts. 
but are there other minerals to worry about? It seems so few. Well, you're right. You know, they're actually uh, all of these minerals are essential. Every last one of them. And if you're missing any of these minerals, your plant cannot be healthy. So despite like the focus on NPK traditionally in ag, or more recently, you know, uh, with calcium and CalMag and those kind of things, it, it, it's all of these. And so I go over all the cycles and what to do in case of toxicity or deficiency in my course and my book. But level three and four, the John always says, you just need robust microbiology. And these levels can happen at the same time once you have those minerals worked out. But when I first learned about this, my reaction was like, all right, so which microbes, John? And there never was any clarity in his online course or any of the things that he wrote or talked about. And that's kind of, you know, where, where I began with Elaine Ingham with the fungi and the bacteria all generalized out like that. But as I've traveled deeper into the, this space and, and area and, and worked with many more experts and uh, that are much deeper and further along, the individual microbes matter so much. <laughs> they make all the difference. And so microbes are incredibly important um, individually. Just like a food forest fills all niches, we need all the, all the spaces occupied by the proper microbiology. And it just can't all be compost tea willy-nilly. The, the reality is you need to actually know who these individuals are in many of these cases. Uh, because if they aren't there, they aren't there. And you can add them to your compost and they'll be in your compost, no doubt. Compost is a great carrier for many of these things. But having spiked compost, having inoculated compost, um, that, is the, that, that, that is the best practice. So we need mycorrhizae. We need endophytes, which are the microbes that live inside the plant. You need surface and leaf microbes. They coat and fortress the plant. Like I said, we're occupying all the spaces and rhizobacteria in the rhizosphere around the roots and rhizophagy root feeding inputs. We'll get into that in a second. So we got to fill all these, spa these spaces or nature will do it for us. So mycorrhizae, it, you know, mycorrhizae hit the scene hot and has not let up. It is getting hotter by the day. You might've seen it advertised and depicted like this is from my book. You know, you have uh, it coating the outside and then you also have it going in to the plant roots. And in some cases going into the actual cell uh, to, to be in between the, 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 the cell wall and the actual in, inside of the cell. And so it's, it's really, really incredible uh, what they can do. And, and nowadays, you know, I actually go with my microscope and, and when I go and look at these spaces, this is my laboratory, by the way, I go and look at these spaces uh, in, in real time. And so I get to see what actual mycorrhizae do and how it looks like when they inoculate it. That glowing area, that neon green up top, that's brighter than everything else, that's fungal activity inoculating the root, bringing in phosphorus. Beautiful, right? Now, endophytes, they live inside the plant and they are not killed by the rhizophagy cycle. They instead are nitrogen fixers that trade nitrogen. Well, they use nitrogen to counteract the superoxide that they're being bombarded with. So they like shield themselves by releasing nitrogen and, 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 and actually counteracting the rhizophagy effect and thus fertilizing the plant internally and surviving at the same time. These endophytes are, are absolutely incredible. Those that don't survive are turned into food. And those that, uh, that barely survive actually get pushed out through the root hair. And it's this action that, that actually grows and stimulates the root hair, this nitrogen that's released. And, and they get pushed out and regrow. So these microbes are being consumed, farmed, and they're they're being they're they're being um, 
partnered with in this relationship of give and take within the plant as endophytes symbiotically. So, so that means that, you know, when we think about what goes in and what stays, when we're adding compost tea, this is the actual process it's feeding. And Elaine Ingham had no idea about this because she's not a mycologist. She's a nematodologist. And so that's, that's her, her, the, her place of study. That's, that's where she comes from. And so she entirely missed this. She also doesn't use stains uh, in the way that mycologists do. Mycologists are wild when it comes to stains. Mycologists are incredible when it comes to IDing. Their identification keys are stunning. Um, you can't do that with bacteria. You can't identify bacteria with a microscope. Um, uh, and, and yes, you know, people are like, oh, but we can do stains for E. coli and all these things. But those things are situational. Those things are isolated. Um, and in the chaos of the horizontal gene transfer and in the chaos of the soil solution, um, you got to use different stains and you got to use like a variety of things actually to map out the space, much like we need the multiple cycles. In the soil environment, we need different lenses to get a complete picture of this space. And that's why DNA sequencing uh, is, is where I've gone, been, been led to as like a flip to the back of the book and check the answers kind of thing. And it's been shocking to learn what actually, uh, who is actually in compost and all these things. And that's why I'm going to be doing a book on this later. Um, because uh, there's a lot of uh, misconceptions about, about, about how to do compost, about what's best practicing compost, about what compost is actually for, about who should be in compost, about who isn't in compost. Um, and that's why I'm advocating these newer methods, these newer testing protocols, because I've gone to the back of the book and I've seen actually what's true and what's not. And that's why... <laughs> There's a second edition on this, right? This is a second edition that someone is getting today because I, I wrote it. It was groundbreaking. Everyone, you know, from David Holmgren to Darren Doherty, everyone's using it. Everyone's recommending it. But when I got down to the DNA, it was like a whole other level. And so I had to level it up. Uh, and so, so Oh, it's there's there's so much there's so much in this space that's why i i have like that 20 week course um that i go through all this and that's why you know so much of it is me going through and then mapping it out for myself that is one of those root hairs that you see right here that root hair where the, the microbes are coming back out in a cloud and repopulating their 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 cell walls look it's right there do you see the cloud that is them so, and this is, this is blue methylene, right? Uh, so this is another stain. Um, so it's really incredibly important to understand that there's new protocols coming. There's tons of new insights coming. I talk about these things in my courses, in my books. Um, and there's a DNA book that I'm writing right now. There's a soil microscopy book that I'm writing, writing right now. So there's much more coming out on this that um, I've not read any, well, I've read parts in studies and published studies, and I've discussed it with um, people like Dr. James F. F. White, who's, I think he's, uh, oh, yeah, he's over 40 years a professor at Rutgers University of Mycology. He is the leading expert on endophytes in the entire world. So um, yeah, just, just an incredible individual. Uh, and so uh, speaking of Dr. James White, one of the things that he is working on that uh, has not been released yet. Um, I don't know if I can say this. All right, well, I'm going to reveal it. James, forgive me if, if this is not good. <laughs> okay, so Dr. James White discovered that inside all of the, root, the, the hairs, not on the root, but the hairs on all leaf surfaces, they're called trichomes. These little hairs on all the, the leaf surfaces of plants actually have nitrogen-fixing bacteria inside them. And you're like, oh, well, Matt, you just told me to persist inside the plant. They need to be nitrogen fixers. You're absolutely right. You're right. Um, but there's also fungal communities. So you have, you have surface fungi and surface 
bacteria that are literally taking in the air, fighting off, you know, taking in exudates that are being released, partnering with the plant symbiotically all right there. And you can see it right there. That glow right there is the fungi. That is the life. And so he's right now doing the work on a, a paper that's going to be published on um, nitrogen fixing bacteria. Uh, and, and, I, and I read the paper. Um, and it, he, is, he is on fire. Uh, there's a bunch of things uh, that he has not released that I've gotten to read <laughs> um, because I keep asking questions that he's like, well, the answer is in a, a paper I haven't finished publishing yet. It's in process here. And I'm like, ah! so, so there, there is in 2022, there is so much coming down the pipe that is going to take the information in my courses and books to a whole nother level, because you're going to be able to see the interconnections. You're going to be able to see the processes with even greater clarity and utility. And that's what this is all about for me. I want people to understand compost tea for what it is, rhizophagy inputs, right? And then you could also spike that compost tea with endophytes that you know will go inside the plant. And then rhizobacteria, we know rhizobia. This is the nitrogen fixers that partner with legumes, but there are other nodule forming nitrogen fixers out there. It's not the only one. I mean, mimosa, it doesn't partner with rhizobia. Mimosa partners with another nodule forming friend. And so these rhizobacteria, it's re it really pays to understand these things because this is what determines our plant health, occupying these spaces. If this plant can accept this partnership, that, that, that basically means that like there's that space for that plant. In other words, that means the capacity to partner with that symbiote is built into the plant and that symbiote was missing. Um, and, and there's a co-evolutionary history behind all this. The, and I know a lot of people are into like using just fossils of plants and fossils of fungi to prove things, but you can also look at the genetics. You can also look at the, how things work. Rhizophagy begins the moment the plant like has the first root that comes out of the seed mycorrhizal relationships actually hijack that pathway. And so anyway, getting off on the evolutionary side and the history of it, um, we can't truly know, but it, it, we logic through it. We use, we use all these different things, but these things that fit perfectly in and create a fully in fortress plant and suddenly the plant is, it, it, is immune to pests and disease. Sounds like that was actually the way it was meant to be. Sounds like we're reuniting people who have always worked together, plants, and I always call them people, but plants, because I mean, these, <laughs> they have so much personality to me as individuals. They're not just fungi and bacteria, not like a fungi to bacteria ratio. What? That's the, 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 there, that is true. That ratio is real, but who, who? It's not arbitrary. It's not willy-nilly. It's not magic. These these individual families and individual species and strains of microbes are very significant. And you're like, Matt, okay, cool. But, but who are these individuals? Well, in my book and in my course, I talk about hundreds of beneficial microbes and I have them listed by what they do. So you can be like hunting through the, the actual commercially available inoculants for exactly what's right for your climate, your growing situation, your orchard or your garden, your soil type. And, and, and you can cover your bases, you, all, the different, all, all the different roles, the fungi and bacteria in the rhizosphere, inside the roots, on the roots, inside the plant, all of it. And this is just the beginning because we're, 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 I'm constantly adding to this and, and, and building this out as new studies come out every single day. 
So this is something that I am hot on the on, on the trail of. This is something that I'm 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 extremely passionate about, and um and part of it is because you know I I I learned a, a slice of this reality from a lot of different individuals, and it was obvious when I took you know like microscope intensives and like and all these different courses that like they're missing like huge sections of the reality. And so I, you know, it's like, like, like which microbes, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> or like guesstimation with like microscope work. I want to actually know the people that are winning, the people that are thriving are the people that have actually mapped it out. And I've talked to them behind the scenes and this is why they're commercially winning. Um, and so uh, I feel very fortunate to be able to share all this with you. I feel like I've, you know, behind the scenes, you know, reveal. Uh, and, and that's also why I'm creating a visually based step-by-step -step book on microscopy. So you can learn the science and the methods of doing exactly what I am doing whether it's dark field, whether it's epifluorescence, whether it's just using stains like blue methylene or peroxide. I mean, you'd be very surprised as to the, the number of, and blue methylene is what like all those friends of you who are in the medical uh, world, your friends who have blue hair now, they dyed it with the blue methylene. Um, and so it's something that's like, you can get anywhere. Um, so, so these, this is stuff that, you know, is it, it, it depending on, and you, you could find the microscope to do, you know, most of this stuff, not the epifluorescent stuff. Um, and, and, and I've heard someone say, you know, expert on microscope say like, oh, you just get the, the laser and, you know, point the, the, bl the blue or purple light on the sample while you're looking through kidding me right you want to fry your kids eyes it's insane do not take these like high-powered lights and have someone arbitrarily put it on the side of your microscope i mean these experts that are saying this grew up in an era where we didn't know, I guess, about the harmfulness of, uh, of, of, of these wavelengths to, to keep it concentrated on the eye and focus it like that. That's, that's why this has filters on it. So, and it's LED, it's not the mercury vapor light, you know? So, so this is like extraordinarily safe. Um, and, and, and it has a filter, so you're not harming your eyes. So, so, so be aware of that. I also have friends who like work under the purple lights, like in cultivation, um, greenhouses and stuff and have had eye damage. So uh, be, 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 be super aware of that. Keep your thinking caps on with, with a lot of the, uh, the, the, the people who go around uh, sharing a lot of these, um, these hacks um, uh, because uh, they just, they just, you know, they're, they're, there's inherent dangers in them. So that's why I wanted to make these things clear. I wanted to kind of pull them out of the darkness because, you know, in the biological world, in the science biological world, they publish how they do it. They literally publish how they count the bacteria, how they measure the, 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 the fungi and everything. And they do it based off of principles that they all agree upon. <laughs> And so every laboratory creates their own methods. And so I learned what all the medical and the biological and, you know, all the biochemistry, all those, those students are learning. And then I reverse engineered what they were doing back down to the principles. Um, and, and I did that with a bunch of other uh, um, uh, microscope intensives um, that uh, experts, you know, um, uh, have put out uh, to what actually is going on and then ran it against the DNA testing. And that's why I have new protocols. <laughs> because, you know, you can't just pass on something that you know is flawed, right? So you got to create something new. So um, that's what I'm doing. Uh, but we're talking about this, right? Saving water. 
when water retention really comes down to good soil structure, high soil organic matter and your paramagnetism. And like EH paramagnetism is something that is annoying to test, though we are about to get it to be much easier because you have all these people creating these correlative spectrometers. So they're matching like the nutrients, the pH EH with light and, and different wavelengths and all these different things. They're, they're trying that they're going through it to try to bring it all down to a meter that you can put into the soil and it can read your soil or your compost. So these higher level tests that are fickle, keep that in mind, EH is a fickle test, though it's much easier to diagnose it once you understand your pH and your soil structure. And so pH, remember the power of hydrogen, we talked about this before, it is the water cycle. The water cycle is the hydrogen cycle, H2O. And so water retention has to do with pH. The more water you have in the soil, the more acidic it is. That's why the whole native plant, native you know, soil people who are like adamant that they want the soil to be like remain alkaline. They're like, no, this is the way it should be. They have no idea about the actual history of these areas. They haven't studied it. They just have a snapshot of their lifetime and are assuming just because of this short-lived animal that, that they understand that all these broader cycles uh, and so much of my work has been trying to step back and read through using the, the, these new lenses of testing to then go back through the older literature and see their insights with new eyes. So I'm, I mean, I'm reading everything Elaine, I, I, you know, everything Elaine Ingham had published in the eighties. I've read through it all up into the nineties and all those things when she was still doing that. And then I've, I, I've read through like all the, the history of soil. As we know, I've read through the history of our civilization through David Montgomery, and I, I've interviewed him extensively about it. And so putting this all together and understanding it um, allows us to understand things from a principles, systems, historical perspective. When you put it all together, it spells serious trouble. Like we are at a cusp moment in history. If you feel like you were born at a special time, you were. This is a very special time. Exponential growth is happening as we are very quickly running out of runway to take the right regenerative steps. And we're heading towards the wall. So water retention is key and adding compost and compost tea, bringing in the humix, bringing in that, that, that smaller fraction size of, 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 of the humix, but also bringing in the, the physical chunky organic matter so that it can house life, soak up water, hold water, um, and energy. And then biochar holds three times its, its mass in water and bone char does something similar, but I've never, I've not seen any, um, any, any reports on that exactly. So I don't know uh, how much or less in comparison, but it is a hungry habitat. Again, it's a purified, it's pure carbon. So it wants to bond with everything. That's why you got to partner with compost or compost tea and let it let it prime and then add it to the soil uh and and this soil organic matter formation this happens through the plant roots it happens through decomposition it happens through microbiology in other words and that reservoir of energy raising your paramagnetism happens through developing and enriching that organic matter through bringing in electrons protons Protons are what makes acidity. See how all this connects? It's all one thing. That's the funny thing is when you get to a certain level of understanding, all of it makes sense. It all becomes one system because literally it's doing all these things at the same time. There is no like, oh, let me put out an exit. At, oh, let me put out a, an electron. Oh, no. The carbonaceous material is coming out right at the same time as the acidifying material or electron. So it's becoming acidic. It's a humic acid, right? 
this is what's happening in the soil in real time. And then it's attracting, pulling things off of the, of the soil particle surfaces, the organic matter surfaces. And it, 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 at, at the same time, it's, it's slurping back up the exodus up to 80%. So those cakes and cookies, it's kind of like Hansel and Gretel and putting them out and then killing the children. Uh, so, so the rhizophagy thing is a, it's, it's not this like cakes and cookies kind of thing. And then the, the stimulation that they get from, from these plants sends them on, on alert. The reason they become immune to things is because the microbes entering them ugh, wakes them up and gets them to fortress themselves. So all these things are happening all at once. Rock dust, again, that surface area allows us to have more water retention, but indirectly, this is going to help us. I'll explain why. Rock dust stimulates microbiological activity like, oops, like nothing else. The microbiological activity of rock dust um, is just fantastic. The what happens is the rock dust stimulates them and they go wild with feasting and eating. It forms that gel water, that fourth phase water around itself because it's so small. That creates a differential charge, which allows for the movement of nutrients. It allows for the microbes to, 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 to generate more power, to generate more easy water. And so the more easy water there is, or exclusionary zone water or fourth phase water, no matter what you want to call it, the more gel state water that's generated by the rock dust or colloidal clay that you add or smectite clay or, or, or something like that, um, all of that is going to create this microscopic surface area that's going to create fields, that's going to create more gel, that's going to make it so that the microbes can quickly move, they can, they can retain um, nutrients because nutrients get caught in that orbit because they're like orbits, right? And then you also have um, all of this slowing water filtration down because it's creating these, these force fields and, and the water's coming in and maybe uh, the sun comes out and then because and then, the sun's energy actually creates even more of this effect. So, so it creates this cascade of effect, a trophic layers of effect that happen. And when it comes down to it, we circle back to what I've been saying these whole three weeks, the simple ideas, the beginning and the end of regenerative soil starts and begin and ends with this concept that we need these five elements to combine to create regenerative soil. And yes, you need the right organic matter. You need the right soil biology, the right minerals, the right kind of plants, enough photosynthesis, healthy photosynthesis, complete photosynthesis, and Goldilocks amounts of air and water. That's me. And this is my, my first real garden. And this is after I started combining different methodologies. I'd learned the Elaine Ingham hot compost method, but I also did static compost. I also did water kefir and also did worm compost. And I combined them all and put the kefir grains, which are just like EM. And some people argue much more complicated than EM and kombucha. And I put them into my compost tea and brewed it. And so I was already at this stage instinctually without even realizing it practicing regenerative principles and early regenerative soil methods. This was six years ago, this right here. And I was able to transform bulletproof soil. We talked about this last week, I believe, in course called that bulletproof soil, that soil that turned to rock. This is the soil that you could put your arm up to your shoulder down in just digging down, no effort three months after doing that regimen. So you're like, wait, Matt, you did no soil test. No, you did no pH test. No, you um, didn't test your compost and all that stuff. No, you, you, and it still did this. Okay. So given that, that I was, you know, instinctually doing it, I bet you have done something like this. I bet you have been drawn to this. And so when you learn what's in this book or within regenerative soil, of course, 
you're going to put all these things together and you're going to be like, aha, that's why I wanted to do that. Blah. And then you're going to be like, that means this, that means that. I, Honey, I knew it. Like you're going to be like vindicated, especially if you've been doing this for a while and experimenting and testing things out and just trying this and that and the other. You're going to realize that instinctually you've been drawn in this direction for a while. But there's a lot of caveats and details that we didn't know about, like the non-mycorrhizal elements. You see all, you see all the amaranth in my pictures, right? My old pictures. Huh? Uh, non-mycorrhizal amaranth was not doing me any good. I mean, it was helping somewhat. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the soils were like ridiculous. So going from ridiculous to just alkaline and oxidized, you know, was a good change. But. <laughs> But it could have gone much faster is what I realized. I realized I could have like created chocolate loam um, that was like dark chocolate. That was like a chocolate fudge mousse color rather than like the light brown that I had achieved in most space. Eh, there is some darker brown in there actually. But, um, but those were mostly places that were, were more in the shade. Um, and I grew extensively in the shade in these areas because California sun in 140 degree soils, 140 Fahrenheit degree soils, two inches deep into the soil, that shade was really like full sun. Yeah. Um, but, 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 but I keep this in here because I want you to know if you've got this, if, or if you join my course, even if you're not going to do the testing, even if you're not going to get the microscope, you can have incredible soil and I can show you how to, to cover your, cover your, well, actually we talk about basically how to do so much of this stuff in these three weeks together. Um, uh, you've got a great start, um, but, but navigating it, the specifics, the caveats, the things not to do. There's so many things that have been passed around as if they're gospel by experts. And it's just malarkey, just malarkey. Like, like the just just fungi, just bacteria, no names of individuals or families or anything like that. It's just, it's just not real. It's just not real. So how's your soil? How, how's your soil on your site? What's your soil organic matter like? Is it at least over 10%? If you're in a container garden, if you of course can control this. Um, but if you've got, you know, limited compost, um, this can be a, a real uh, pain point. This can be the thing that makes it so that your soils automatically are antagonistic and prevent your plants from growing properly. Because it's the buffer that allows all the minerals that tend to hate each other to get along, right? It's like that person that makes everyone behave and they walk in the room, like <laughs> everyone suddenly is like, oh, we're polite. It's like grandma shows up and like the siblings suddenly start behaving. <laughs> Uh, and then, you know, are your minerals in coherence, right? Not only do you have enough buffering, not only are you in the PHEH Goldilocks zone, are your minerals in coherence? Do you have a toxicity? Do you have a deficiency that's pronounced? It's good to know those things and, and fix them. What's your structure like? Is, is it crumbs-like structure? Is it pancake compaction? What's your EHPH like? And remember from other lectures online, you can visualize this, right? Your EHPH is a chart, the four corners, right? If you don't know what I'm talking about, go check out Soil Redox. That <laughs> that'll take up a whole day um, uh, if we wanted to really delve deep into that. I've got a lot of, of that. And then the CEC, where's your CEC at? because we can raise that significantly. Um, do you have all the members of the soil food web present? Because if you don't, you actually can't cycle your nutrients property and it doesn't properly, and it doesn't matter um, if you've got the nutrients there, your plants won't get them. Like if you don't have the nematodes or the protozoa, or you know, if you don't have a way to, uh, to release the, the, the nutrients inside the microbes and the, they aren't rhizophagy microbes. Obviously, if they're rhizophagy microbes, they're going to get slurped up and that's how they're going to be turned into the food, right? 
it's so critical to understand rhizophagy. And it was such a delight to learn about it. I mean, I had not learned it from any of my soil mentors. It was brand new, um, just published, learned from Dr. James F. White and uh, changed it changed everything. I mean, we finally understand what compost tea actually is. Um, and so it's just critical to understand um, who's there and their functions. And like I said, with a $150 microscope like that one, uh, you can find it all. You can find it all out. So are your plants resistant to pests and disease? If your soil is really good and you grow plants and they don't ever get whacked, you know, they don't get spots, they don't get eaten, you know. So if you want to learn more, if you want to know the answers to those questions, just right off the bat, yes, 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 yes. And with a victorious, you know, kind of response, um, I think you should check out Regenerative Soil. This is a 20-week program. It's lifetime access. So I, I can't tell you how many dozens of folks from last season are retaking this course because I've actually extended it and added more videos, more information, and they want to participate in the live Q&A because as this information gets deeper into you, you begin to see the world through different eyes. And it changes everything. It changes how you eat, it changes um, how you manage plants, changes uh, how you farm uh, and garden completely. So, so it, it's a community and we're all now uh, the alumni from last season. Uh, many of them are participating in the research work behind the scenes that's giving us new insights. And so we've got folks from all over the world, multiple countries participating, multiple climates, all climates. Um, and there are hundreds of people involved. So this is, this is an incredible community. And it's, it's one of those places where you really can get past all of this camps. You know, it's like biology only, you don't, you only need compost or, you know, you just need the right minerals or crane natural farming, you know, all of the just one size fits all thinking, you're going to be able to see above them all and how to mix them all and how to maximize them all because you'll understand them completely with fluency. So you could do Korean natural farming as your thing, but people will be like, hey, I've never seen anyone do that with Korean natural farming. Why are you doing that? You're like, oh, well, this is this and that and does that. It'll change the way you do everything. Just like if you saw me do my crazy compost this week, that I've never seen anyone do that because the fluency gives you improvis improvisational freedom and deep understanding so that you can actually respond to the ingredients that you have on hand. You can whip up an exact recipe for the kind of result that you want. You know, you have all of this at your fingertips. So you're gonna be able to navigate, understand and connect all the soil biology, the chemistry, the minerals, the plants and all the cycles and climates and soil types. So not only can you help yourself, you can help other people. I, 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 I can't count how many people have revealed that they, well, they're asking permission to use my book to teach courses, um, but people are doing workshops with this information all over the world now with my books and uh, from the learning they got in my courses because no one's teaching this. There's nowhere else to get this information to connect it all together and to finally understand all those different disciplines, how they all interconnect because there is actually, you know, I mean, the natural world logically because they all work in their way, their context and caveats and limitations, because they fit into the overall reaching patterns and systems of nature and what soil actually is. And so that's what I studied. I studied how soil actually cycles the minerals, how plants actually um, interact and behave with soils uh, when they're at their ideal health and in nature. Um, so that's, that, that's what we've done. So you can learn how to solve problems from our first principles, from a nature perspective, and tailor your soil to your goals and your plant needs. And no matter where you are, you can fix your soil. And you can make plants that are resistant to all the problems that your neighbors and your fellow farmers are facing. And on top of it all, you can learn how to use a microscope because microscopes are incredibly addictive and fun. Um, I'd always much rather use the microscope than watch a movie, for instance. 
These are some of the amazing advantages you get from this course. Regenerative soil is soil that has more carbon, more organic matter, in other words, has increased soil biology in, in specific ways, not just random soil biology. You can go to the local dump and you get a ton of biology, but not the right biology. And because of the right biology there, because you've fortressed your plants and they're getting fed within, without, on their surface, from the air, all of the above, they become more nutritionally dense than anything else available. And you didn't use toxins. You didn't use poisons. You used less water. You saved money. You used less of everything. It saved you time. And at the same time, you were improving your soils. So this is what it, what's included. You have two to four hours of video per week, 20 weeks, live Q&A weekly. The replays are in there, the audio, the video. There's the ebook, the audio book that are included. There's guest teachers and case studies. There's certification, regenerative soil certification, prove to the world that you, you've done it. You've, you've accomplished that you have these skills, the how-to and the science behind all of this and making it visual because it's never been visual before. That's one of the things I do is I, in order to really understand things, I got to break things down to a visual level so I can communicate it to my child because that's like... <laughs> That's like the deepest level of understanding within me. And that's the core of my understanding and what allows for me to be fluent, improvise and play with things. So I have to understand it from there. Plus there's incredible options on top of all that. And there's easy and affordable payment plans. And this course is a fraction of all the other microscopy courses available. All the other microscopy courses available are and, 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 and soil courses available are so incredibly expensive. If you look at the, the, the number one uh, soil course in the world, the soil food web course, it's five times the cost. And I've got students from that course, well, dozens upon dozens upon dozens upon dozens. I think it's, it's over a hundred uh, students that are in, in my courses now um, that are taking this and all remarking on, now it finally makes sense. This is the missing pieces. Ah, oh, this is perfect review, and now it finally makes sense. They're, they're able to put it all together. So it's cost less, it's more functional, and it's more up to date. And it includes so many of the people from that world, from the soil food web world. We've got graduates here from all different years and levels of the soil food web school tradition, including Elaine Ingham. But then we've got people like John Kemp. But then we've got Pacific Biochar. We've got Dr. Olivia Husson, uh, EH soil redox expert. We've got, we've got soil compost experts. We've got no-till experts. We've got um, gardeners who have done incredible work. We've got leading experts in endophytes and mycology and in roots and in um, soil microbiology that are helping us with this. So this is an incredible community of people that are pushing the envelope and going even further. And it's on all of their studies, all of them combined that I've been able to then go further and test their things and show why all of these different, you know, camps, uh, you know, why they're tunneling down and meeting each other. Because so often you have people like from like the soil food web world or the KNF world or the regenerative ab world argue online in the Facebook groups and stuff like, no, you don't need that. No, that's not true. And what it is, is they've tunneled down their own little silos and then they've met each other and, and, and they're like, it's the chemicals, it's the biology. And in reality, it's the biology releasing the biochemistry. And, and, and so that's what I've really done. Um, tying even together um, the late Michael Phillips work in this, um, that man will be missed. Uh, he's someone that I really wanted to talk to further. I got to interview him and, and, and we communicated over email, but man, whew, I was planning on visiting him in New Hampshire. So I've been able to combine all these into an overarching holistic system that is regenerative soil. Thousands of studies, hundreds of books, dozens of experts, over a dozen peer reviewers, and you can turn all your waste into amazing soil. You can reverse and heal degraded soil, clay, sand, and silt, rich chocolatey loam is what you can get, no matter your soil, no matter, you know, calicky clay, a heavy soil, compacted, 
you can have the healthy soil that you know is your healthy plants, your healthy animals, and your healthy people. This is all possible, and you can learn how to do it in a lifetime community-based environment that actually works with actual science and uh, scientists and farmers all over the world. And there's amazing new bonuses. And you, you ever, <laughs> even if you're not into my, my, my microscopes, um, there's options for you. You don't have to get these. Um, if, if, if you're like, I, I don't want to go down that route. You don't have to go down this route. This is included as an option, okay? There's book options that are included. There's course bonus options. So that's three bonus courses that are also included. So if you choose, be, so you can pick and choose any level. It's kind of like a Kickstarter where you've got all these different options and payment plans, but we begin Monday. So time is of the essence. So please take the time now to go and sign up. The link is in the chat. I'm going to go and <laughs> get the link here. Um, and put it here in the chat and, and, and please go and check it out. I'm going to take a, a quick 10 minute break and then we're going to reconvene and we're going to have our live Q&A. Here, let me put the link right now for everyone in the meeting. Um, click here, that's the link. Uh, for regenerative soil 2022 and it starts monday all right everyone i'm going to see you in 10 minutes um so so please head over there now and i will i will see you soon all right everyone i'll be right back i'll see you in 10 minutes um and i'm just gonna get a drink uh maybe have a, a quick bite and then i'll be in for the full live Q&A experience. Get, get ready for it. We're going to go all in and we're not going to stop. We answer all your questions. Um, but take the time now to go visit that. I'll see you guys in a minute.